0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision.
1: That last night was Budget Night, the May Budget brought down by the Treasurer. There are always winners and losers. Was it a hit the reset button for the Turnbull government? Was it, as some describe, as a Labor Light Budget? Well, you may have been listening to commentary in the mainstream media, but there may be some Christian perspectives that may have gone unchecked, and we'll bring out some of those sorts of things through this coming hour. Two special guests joining us in this next hour, Dr. Rod St-Hill, who's an economist and vice president academic at the Christian Heritage College School of Business in Brisbane, and also Gavin Martin, who is founder, managing director and financial advisor of Cornerstone Wealth with officers in Melbourne and Sydney. And uh, Gavin Martin joining us on the line from Melbourne. Hello, Gavin. Welcome along to 2020.
2: day, Neil. Great to be with you.
1: And Dr. Rodson hill who's joining us in the studio. Hi, Rod. Welcome along. It's great to be here, Neil. Uh, and I should just say, uh, you're fresh off the plane this morning, Rod, and uh, you had a very, very up-close opportunity to hear of Uh, and discussion of budget workings uh, with MPs and Ministers until late last night in Canberra. What can you tell us about uh, the sorts of things that you were involved in last night?
3: Well, uh, it was very interesting, actually, because we were able to witness the budget being delivered. So we were in one of the galleries there. We were able to see everything that was going on um, from about 50 metres above the uh, Members of Parliament. And uh, after that, we were able to meet with Bert Van Manen, who hosted a, a small dinner, and uh, he introduced us to a number of Cabinet Ministers, and they were able to talk to us a little bit about what was happening in their portfolios. So it was a great experience for me, and uh, particularly as an economist, and hearing some of the things that the Cabinet Ministers had to say about some of the difficulties they have in their portfolios, and um, also the fact that actually the budget is pretty much a secret document, and uh, even Cabinet Ministers don't know exactly what's in it until it's actually read. So despite the fact that there were a few leaks... There were many, many um, uh, issues that were raised in the budget that uh, really only I think the Treasurer and the Prime Minister knew about. So that, that was an interesting insight.
1: And I don't want to leave listeners out of our conversation today too because there may be questions or a specific comment Uh, And uh, John, who is answering phones for us this morning, uh, will take your name and he may well even uh, ask you what sort of question or comment you have. And we'll try and uh, include uh, those questions through our conversation today that will be relevant to where we're up to in our conversation. There is so much to talk about, but let's start with a very big picture idea of last night's federal budget. And Gavin Martin, if I'm asking you for an overall how did you feel when you saw the budget, uh, what is your response?
2: Yeah, my feel is that Scott Morrison's second budget was the budget that we had to have and not because of budgetary requirements uh, but or financial but really about the political landscape. I think the medicine that we really needed to uh, take uh, back in 2014 with the hockey Abbott budget that was not palatable for the electorate or the Senate um, it needed to be reset. And so Scott Morrison Malcolm Turnbull have... Um, reset the the budget and taken a more, uh, as you say, labour-light approach or maybe even a bit more heavier than um, light approach by um, increasing taxes and and spending um, rather than the traditional liberal approach of um, reducing government and taxes to promote growth.
1: Of course, earlier on this morning, I was hearing uh, the opposition leader trying to distance himself from the idea that the Turnbull government might have delivered a labour-light-type budget. And uh, one of those issues, of course, was uh, that the taxes uh, were being raised. I mean, uh, ought we be feeling significantly uh, uh, short, uh, short-changed by the idea that most taxpayers are soon going to be paying more tax, uh, that the banks who are going to have a, a rise... Uh, in a levy on the banks may well claw that back uh, with, uh, with some home loan interest rates rising. We may well feel some pain from that, but an overview from you. How did you feel when you saw the budget last night, Dr. Rodson Hill?
3: Well, I certainly felt that they were turning their backs on 2014, absolutely no doubt about that. But I think you know, we've ended up with a big spending, big taxing, big government, and that's not going to change within the next few years, I don't think. But but one of the things that I think does make this quite different to what you might have expected from the opposition is that there's a very heavy emphasis on infrastructure. And, uh, you know, we haven't really spent enough on infrastructure over the last probably decade, maybe even longer than that. And uh, I think that's a very good thing. So I do agree to some extent with uh, the Treasurer that there's good debt and bad debt. And a lot of the increase in debt that's resulted from this budget is what he would call good debt. And I'd be inclined to agree with him because it will improve our productivity and uh, that should generate rises in income that will allow the government to increase their total
1: tax take and gradually get that budget deficit down. Let me, before we get into some nitty gritty details in some of those budget elements, ask both of you gentlemen about Christian perspectives because there will be some elements in last night's budget uh, that will require something of a Christian uh, understanding as to how we might think about that because uh, mainstream media commentary often brings a secular-style view to these things and and oftentimes a very, very healthy thing for us to, as Christians, uh, bring perspectives on some of the issues. Uh, were there anything uh, outstanding in the budget for you, Gavin Martin, that, uh, that you think, as a Christian, well, we ought to make comment on that? Well,
2: I guess... Focus on uh, homelessness. I think there was 375 million from memory uh, to focus on that particular issue as part of the broader housing package. Um, focusing also on um, uh, promoting and encouraging um, investment in affordable housing. I guess that can be seen as a, a positive as well from a Christian perspective. And um, then uh, the media ban on gambling. I think that's being so much. Uh, indoctrinated in our cultures and our kids' um, minds, I think that that can't be a bad thing at all.
1: Uh, Your thoughts, Rodson Hill?
3: I certainly agree with Gavin
2: on the the ban on uh,
3: gambling advertising. And, uh, look, the sweetener for that, uh, through the changes in the media policy, um, lie in the fact that the government is changing the way in which it's actually uh, charging the uh, radios and television stations for the spectrum that they have. So there's a significant reduction in the bills that they'll have to pay to the government for the use of um, the airwaves. And um, I think that that's made it possible for them then to um, place this ban. But I, I think that's an excellent idea. Um, it should reduce problem gambling, I think. Um, I, I do think the government's made some genuine efforts in the area of housing Although I would note that the most important effect will be on the demand side rather than the supply side. So I don't think we're going to see house prices coming down in a hurry. But the, the changes to the, the way in which young people can use their superannuation accounts as a means of low tax saving uh, in order to save up for a deposit, I think that's fairly positive. And they've, they've made quite a few changes in relation to foreign investors in the housing market that uh, should slow down some of that demand. And, look, I think it's a great thing if a young family can live in a house that they own. And uh, so I would say from a Christian perspective, I I, I would applaud the government on that. But it is dependent on something happening on the supply side as well. So we would need to see state governments step in and do something about releasing more land. And I think both state and federal governments could probably do more uh, to make sure that developers don't simply buy land and sit on it for many, many years, and that does happen too often.
1: Uh, is it fair to say, then, that when we talk about uh, land and uh, demand and housing, and as you say, Rod, it may not actually see prices come down, but it, is it likely to slow the rise in house prices uh, as we've been seeing this uh, this dynamic growth, particularly in capital cities? Well, it's always hard to know, but, but it'll probably be probably release a little bit of pressure in
3: sydney and melbourne and that's where the biggest problem is and uh look people simply want to live there they they simply want to live in sydney and melbourne and uh, that's one of the issues
1: and gavin martin first home buyers uh when they take advantage of the new savings opportunity uh putting some money into uh superannuation pre-tax dollars uh, is that likely to be something that will be a real benefit do you think
2: uh, yes, I think it will be in, for those that can take advantage of it. So, uh, just some rough figures. It seems like an individual on uh, $50,000 might be able to save around, you know, four and a half thousand dollars in tax by, um, and, and therefore they can put that money towards their first home uh, by uh, taking advantage of the strategy. It is a little bit more complex than the old model that was introduced by. Uh, Uh, Kevin Rudd in Kevin07, the first home savers account, because it does mean you're putting it into super. There's a bit of a more complex um, assessment of what's your tax rate um, when you're paying money into super and how much you're paying on the way out. Um, But uh, on my initial assessments, it looks like about $4,500 generally. Uh, But you also need to factor in that cash flow-wise, if somebody is on that sort of income under... uh, $55,000 Fifty-five thousand dollars, but over forty-two thousand um, dollars. They'll also be paying more in uh, their help repayments. So it might be another four thousand dollars in repayments that they'll need to make that they were, that they previously didn't need to. So in terms of cash flow, there might not be that much difference for somebody in that band of income, the forty-two to fifty-six thousand dollar mark.
1: We are taking calls, one eight hundred 316 You're welcome to have a question or a comment uh, with regards to those things that you understand from last night's federal budget, one eight hundred 316 Let's move to a slightly different uh, perspective here and talk about education. And usually we'd talk about schools education uh, first and uh, schools funding, but uh, but since uh, Dr Rod St Hill... Uh, as a university lecturer and, uh, and, uh, and economist and uh, academic, uh, when it comes to issues to do with universities, uh, there's going to be an increase in the cost of university degrees. Uh, what are your feelings about that?
3: Look, I think it's inevitable. And um, we, we still have that income contingent loan facility available for students. Admittedly, the um, level of income at which you start making repayments is is coming down, Um, But I I think on the whole we've actually got a very good system in Australia and uh, I don't really see why individuals who benefit from university degrees shouldn't actually have to repay their loan. Um, Even today someone with a university degree is likely to earn 25 to 30% more over their lifetime than someone who doesn't have a degree. So I I think it's a fairly reasonable um, policy given all of the circumstances of the government. There will be obviously an increase in the size of the fees that students pay for the privilege of going to universities. And this, I must stress, uh, relates to the public universities. The regime that applies for the private higher education providers, such as my own Christian Heritage College, is, is a little bit different. And uh, I don't think much has changed in that area at this point.
1: Uh, so no disadvantage to private higher education providers uh, that you can well there 's uh, no there 's no
3: more disadvantage than there already is and, and there was a proposal to remove some of that disadvantage in this budget, but it doesn 't appear to have happened
1: okay well that's uh, that 's perhaps a topic too for another day to expand on that because uh, it 's an interesting uh, facet to be able to comment on uh, Did you have some more to add so far as higher education university degrees go uh, Gavin martin um, no uh, just
2: to, just to be aware that you will need to pay it back uh, uh, more back and pay it back earlier. Uh, so be aware of that. And if you can do, I think we might have talked about in previous conversations. Neil, that where you can pay it off uh, as you're going through, you might take longer to get through, but you'll be um, uh, uh, saving money in the meantime.
1: Uh, let's move on to the schools funding, and this has been out for uh, a week or more. Uh, the way that there'll be a new level playing fields when it comes to funding. Uh, Your thoughts on the school's funding at Rodson Hill? Well, it's
3: certainly going to be a lot simpler than the so-called Gonski 1.0. There's no doubt about that. They're moving to a system which has, I think, three different levels in it, and uh, the funding will be so-called needs-based, and it will be um, brought in over a period of years, so there won't be massive changes overnight. But it does look as if there will be quite a lot of schools in the private sector that will lose funding that they might have had under previous arrangements. So um, there will be winners and losers in this, but it's a much simpler system. My only concern really is that we still don't know exactly how this is going to improve the results of young men and women in schools. And I think one of the biggest issues with the earlier version of Gonski was that there was a commitment, and I will say it was an unfunded commitment by the previous government to allocate a lot more money to school education. There wasn't a lot of emphasis on how that was supposed to actually improve the academic results of our young people. And uh, so I'll certainly be looking for um, releases from government over the next little while that would convince me that simply increasing the funding... Uh, is actually going to improve the results because we do need better results. And uh, just throwing money at it isn't the way to get those better results. So a lot of things have got to happen to make sure that every dollar of that extra money and every dollar which is currently expended actually improves the results for our young people.
1: Uh, Gavin Martin, this is a family issue too, isn't it? And uh, there is a more comprehensive list that's been released of those schools that will be... Uh, so-called disadvantaged because of the changes in the funding model Uh, but it's a family issue because if you send your child along to a independent christian school or a catholic school and you happen to be sending your child to one of those schools uh, is it likely that uh, you might be under more pressure even higher fees as a parent Uh, this does affect parents when it comes to their schools and the funding models
2: Uh, yes if it ultimately means that there's less money in the for those uh, schools to run, then it will likely be passed on to, um, school, uh, to students and therefore parents. So it will be need- needed to be factored in. But I think it really highlights the challenge for the, um, for the government at the moment. It's a, it's a policy that will... Um, uh, ..an approach that will be accepted by the electorate largely, uh, but they still need to get it through there, um, uh, you know, past their own members of parliament. That's, that may be more of a challenge... Um, So politically, I think it's more of a challenge, particularly with the the impact on uh, Catholic and independent schools.
0: Helping you make sense of life, culture and current
1: events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special 2020 debrief on last night's federal budget. Dr. Rodson Hill, our guest, economist and vice president academic at the Christian Heritage College School of Business in Brisbane. Gavin Martin, also with us, founder, managing director and financial advisor of Cornerstone Wealth in Melbourne and in Sydney. Let's turn our attention a little to small business and uh, i'll come to you first gavin martin uh, a number of elements there that benefit small budget, uh, business in the uh, in the budget overnight uh, what are the things you identify gavin
2: yeah the key one is the extension for another year of the immediate write off so uh, um, items that you purchase for business purposes less than for less than $20,000 can be written off in 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 one year rather than depreciated over several years that's probably the Uh, the key one there for for small businesses. Um, But uh, I guess the other thing that um, uh, was highlighted in some of the budget papers was the concern around the construction uh, boom, uh, residential um, construction, particularly around apartments, um, and that tapering off. um, And uh, we could see um, uh, unemployment increase, and that's, I guess, one of the reasons for the large expenditure in infrastructure uh, which uh, as rod mentioned earlier was a great um, uh, investment it is a good debt so to speak in terms of putting money into that um, but yeah whether the um, whether the infrastructure investment can be um, uh, jump started in time for the in this at the same time that the construction boom is Um, tapering off will be the challenge and uh, I think that's a key part of how things go economically for Australia um, moving forward. Uh,
1: Rodson Hill, uh, the impression I get when I see the budget is that the government doesn't want anyone to think that the construction boom might taper off Uh, because of uh, the idea of uh, low-cost housing and uh, uh, first-home buyers and those sorts of things, Uh, uh, you'd be a follower of trends, uh, ups and downs, and uh, one sector decreases, Uh, there's provision there for another sector to take up the slack. Uh, As Gavin Martin's sharing, is that that relevant? It it
3: is, but the the, the problem we have, of course, is one of timing. And uh, we've been talking for the last few years about the economy being in transition from the so-called mining boom to something else. And to some extent, that has been taken up by the construction industry, but it didn't happen quickly enough, nor nor at the same magnitude as the, uh, the mining boom that we experienced in the first decade or so of the uh, 2000s. So that's one of the issues that the government has to deal with. There's no doubt that the infrastructure spending will create jobs and it will create jobs in the construction industry and a lot of other downstream industries. But I think that that is important because it has a short-term effect and uh, the Treasury forecasts in the budget are actually for the unemployment rate to rise a little bit for the next few years, only uh, by about 0.05%. That's uh, not a, not a large amount, but obviously it means something to the people who are unemployed. So we're probably going to see a little bit of an increase in the unemployment rate, a little bit of an increase in the inflation rate for the forecast period of four years that's in in the budget. Um, and I agree with Gavin, the infrastructure spending really needs to start pretty quickly. Um, and I'd like to see the private sector as involved in that as possible. And I noticed in one of the newspapers today that Wagners, who built an airport uh, in Toowoomba and... Uh, They managed to get that thing operating with airlines within a couple of years. And uh, one thing we do know for sure is when the government directly undertakes a large infrastructure project, that simply adds time and undoubtedly cost to it. So um, I I think if we can get the private sector involved as quickly as we possibly can, uh, that will get things moving. And uh, I I just really
1: encourage the government in that area. Uh, And that draws us to another uh, important uh, facet of this whole issue of infrastructure because uh, while the ideal might be having private sector involvement, you've got the government uh, with its Badgerys Creek 2nd Sydney Airport uh, wanting to basically have the equity of ownership for that airport uh, in in, uh, public hands. Uh, how does that fit? I mean, is this a good thing that the government does want to actually own the, uh, the Sydney Airport, the second well, Sydney Airport?
3: Well, look, I think that that was their second best option. They had a preferred option that just didn't work out because uh, Sydney Airport had, had an option to actually build that airport, which they, they passed it by. They, um, they did their analysis and felt that it couldn't make enough return on their investment. So that's why the government has taken it over. Um, look, it's a long-term investment. It'll take 10 years to build. I think the really important key here is they must have good, fast, reliable public transport from the new airport into the CBD. So that means good rail links in particular and not too expensive. Um, so, look, I, I think it's an exciting development. It's about time. We've been talking about Badgeries Creek for over 30 years now. It has taken a long, long time to bite the bullet. And uh, I, I think it will be a successful airport. But as I said, the key is to make sure that it links with the CBD reliably, efficiently and fast.
1: That other big piece of infrastructure that may well start as early as this year, Gavin Martin, a rail link between Melbourne and Brisbane. Uh, Did you have any thoughts on uh, that particular piece of infrastructure and what that might do for people who live in all of those towns that will be so much more easily accessible by way of freight. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that particular uh, rail line?
2: Yeah, most of the other uh, infrastructure spend uh, really it seems really logical and makes sense. But the one that I struggle most with, and, and maybe that I don't uh, understand it as much as what uh, perhaps Rod may be able to comment on, but it's been raised many times, it's inland rail, um, but the uh, the, the My understanding is that cost is significant and will you actually get a payback on that? Um, So that's the most questionable um, infrastructure spend that I have on the the list. I'd be interested in Rod's views.
3: Look, um, most of the economic analysis shows that if the private sector built it, they wouldn't actually get their money back. So um, I think we have to look at this as something which is making a contribution to community. It won't necessarily have a hard economic payoff. I know there are lots of people in business who think it's a great idea, And uh, I know some Christians in business who, if they had the money, they would actually fund it because they believe that it will deliver something socially to our nation. But I agree with Gavin that uh, economically, it probably won't pay off. Or if it does, the payoff will be a long, long time into the future.
1: Uh, Let's turn our attention for a few moments. Uh, It is inescapable to me that, as one commentator said, this was a busy budget, Uh, Last night, as the Treasurer delivered us a lot of elements and uh, a lot of uh, what uh, people are describing as good sort of fix-it ideas that are coming out in the budget, Uh, it's been described as busy, but does that mean that there may be some things in there that need extra attention because they'll go a little unnoticed because there's so much to talk about in the budget. Uh, your thoughts, Gavin Martin, uh, is this too busy? Is there that idea of the devil in the detail that may be missed because there's so much to talk about?
2: Uh, I think the busyness is really about how many uh, issues it deals with. So it's dealing with um, the fallout from previous budget under. Uh, a hockey in Abbott, um, it's dealing with the zombie measures that weren't able to be uh, dealt with, and it's dealing with the um, um, neutralising the political leverage that Labor has by focusing on things like uh, Gons- Gonski. Um, so I think it's busy in that respect but it's not busy in terms of what it's got in the document. I think it's really quite straightforward in, in terms of the measures. Uh, a, lot, a lot simpler in terms of superannuation, um, most of the changes last year caused a lot of complexities uh, in the finance sector and uh, there's very minimal impact um, on, on that, in that space. And um, most of those measures uh, actually are, are only just coming into play now um, and we're sort of dealing with those towards the end of this financial year um, due to last year's budget. Uh, so we would say it's not, not busy because of the complexity of the measures but, of, but because of the context of what the, the budget is delivered in.
1: Uh, Rodson Hill, uh, fresh back from your jaunt to Canberra and uh, a little uh, uh, whining and dining with the uh, the ministers and MPs last night. Uh, what was the atmosphere like around the dinner table? And uh, as those ministers uh, came in, were sharing their thoughts, I imagine they'd probably be a little bit upbeat. Uh, were there any negatives that they were bringing out, do you think?
3: Uh, no, not really. Look, um, I, I, I certainly think that the government MPs received it very, very well indeed. Uh, and, and from where I was sitting while the budget was being delivered, you could see that the opposition weren't very happy at all. Uh, not because they disagreed with it, but because I think that they actually agreed with many of the measures that were in that, that budget. So, um, look, politically, I, I agree with Gavin that there's been a total reset here. And uh, undoubtedly, this government, this government has, you know, the driver has been, we've got to do something about the polls. They're not looking too good. But I think they've been fairly responsible overall. I I don't really think there is anything in this budget that's going to do a lot of harm to Australia. Already we've seen uh, spokespeople for some of the ratings agencies saying our AAA credit rating is now safe and that's really important because that will keep interest rates lower than they otherwise would be. I think it will be a boost to confidence of overseas investors uh, and also to local investors. So I, I think even though it was framed within a particular political context, I think that uh, on the whole it will be positive for Australia and particularly as I said earlier because a lot of the budget deficit, well actually much more than the deficit, um, it, it's really explained by this very hem- heavy emphasis on, on infrastructure. So look, um, all of the cabinet ministers that um, we were able to speak with last night, they were very upbeat about it. Um, I think most of them had good news for their portfolios. And uh, my host, Bert Van Manen, was very, very happy with the, uh, the new um, processes
1: for dealing with complaints against financial institutions. That was his idea. Uh, one caller who made contact with us, uh, who wasn't able to go to where, but reflecting on a 14-year-old son who made the comment after the budget that he and his classmates believe uni is going to be a more expensive uh, exercise uh, by the time they get to go to uni, and they can't afford it. Uh, let me come to you, uh, Rodson Hill, because perception is always very important. And when the government says university degrees are going to be more expensive, uh, another two or up to four thousand dollars more expensive, uh, there are parents who might be saying, "Well, okay, well we can we can live with that because uh, we know we're going to be able to afford it, or, or or whatever it it might be." But but young people who are thinking. I don't even dream about that sort of money, and that's going to be more expensive again for a university degree. It does have an effect. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And, and look,
3: the government's come clean. Yes, university degrees will be more expensive. The uh, student contribution will go up by about 7.5%, and we're talking here about the public universities, not the private um, higher education providers, but uh, we can expect their fees to go up more or less in in tandem anyway. Um, So there's no getting around it. It will cost more to go to university. But Australia does have one of the world's best student loan schemes because the whole thing is underwritten by the government. And uh, yes, the, um, the the minimum income at which the repayment starts, should you decide to defer your, um, your fees, that's about half the average wage in Australia. But um, I just come back to the point that I made earlier, that once you graduate, over your lifetime, you can still expect to earn somewhere between 25 and 30 percent more than someone who doesn't have a university degree. So that's a, a private benefit, if you like. So you can justify the increase in fees on that on that basis that the government is actually clawing back something of the private benefit. Uh, the other alternative that um, w- could be put on the table, of course, is to make do something like make your first degree a free degree, and then jack up tax rates right across the board. So that has to be a social contract. And uh, for many, many years now, going right back to the Dawkins era in the late 1980s when this scheme was first introduced, the issue was it's becoming more and more expensive to run our universities. We either increase everybody's tax or we actually force, if you like, the users to pay a little bit more. And that's the route that both Labor governments and coalition governments have taken. Over the last few decades,
1: let's move on. There were some specific measures that were announced in last night's budget, and one of those that's regarded as a populist measure. And let me just uh, I- iterate uh, one of the terminologies that's used of uh, of young people who are unemployed, uh, who are receiving Centrelink payments, uh, and the idea of, as some have suggested. Drunk, stoned, dole bludgers uh, and the idea of being a populist measure, uh, this sort of thing uh, sometimes grates up the wrong way. Uh, sometimes it sort of touches a nerve in what Australians may be thinking about uh, young people who are unemployed. Uh, what are your thoughts, uh, Gavin Martin, on, on the idea that uh, there will be some, uh, you know, uh, drug testing and uh, all sorts of things that may go on with, uh, with young people who are on the dole?
2: Uh, yes, it sounds very populist, and um, my initial response is that if you're cutting somebody's um, uh, dole, um, you know, if they're a second offender by a hundred percent, so not receiving any dole payments for uh, four weeks, effectively, uh, how are they going to live? And will that just lead them to crime? Um, to you know, provide. For both their drug habits and um, their living expenses, um, so that was my initial uh, thoughts. But if it's a trial, so I think there's 5,000 um, uh, people that will be it will be trialed with. If it actually works in directing them through to um, to um, uh, help them get off their um, or, or cease their drug habit habits, um, go through rehabilitation programs, then that would be a really worthwhile um, way to go. But the challenge is uh, linking those two things together and not just about the ceasing the um, uh, the, the benefit payments. So I know they need to have a carrot and a stick type of approach, but it does seem um, unworkable almost to uh, cease the benefits uh, if they are um, um, uh, uh, testing positive. I think it's... Uh, somebody in a different, difficult situation and uh, almost kick, kicking them when they're down, uh, I don't think that approach is really going to work. It really needs to be rehabilitation-focused. And if that's their focus, then it's got some legs.
1: I'm not sure whether there was any provision for rehabilitation uh, for those uh, young people who might actually test positive, but uh, Rodson Hill and the idea that, uh, that maybe these people who are being described as uh, drunk, stoned, dull bludgers, may actually be vulnerable members of our community and uh, there may be some need for some extra mental health services. What are your feelings about the ways that uh, perhaps there could have been some extra provision uh, that might not have made this appear such a populist measure? Look, um, they are providing some
3: $115 million extra for, for mental health, so I think there will be some significant, very significant improvements there. Um, I think one of the issues with the budget, of course, is it comes out under section headlines. And so when you pick up a newspaper today, I've bought four or five newspapers. You have a look at it, they've got a headline and then a list. And uh, I, I think it's very easy to get the impression that what's happening in terms of the, uh, the welfare sector is not linked to, to other sectors. But I, my understanding is that the first step will actually be referral so that um, there will be this, this, this step in the system which will push these people to, towards help. And there is funding elsewhere in the budget that I think will, will, will cover that. But I've made this point many, many times, and everyone who knows me has heard me say this many, many times. It's not good for people to be on social welfare. The whole system is only designed to help people survive, not to thrive. I think uh, linking the, the use of the cards, which will effectively quarantine 80% of expenditure, is a good idea. I think it's a very wise thing to trial it in just a few areas. Uh, those areas, I believe, will be announced. Or they may be announced now, but sometime today, they'll become, uh, pub- that will become public knowledge. And uh, I think we need to make sure that it's well researched so that we're not actually effectively putting people out on the street. I agree with Gavin that, that, that at first blush, when you just read the section under under welfare, it could appear that um, someone who, who fails twice, they lose their financial assistance for four weeks, what are they going to do? Uh, but I think the idea is to push them into other areas of help, and I think that's a positive thing. And we really do have to change the psychological way of thinking in Australia. We have to stop thinking welfare and start thinking, what can I do? What can I do to reach my aspirations? And I think that's totally consistent with a biblical worldview. And one of the things that separates Christianity from all other approaches to life is that we actually believe we can aspire to something better in this life. And
1: uh, social welfare doesn't help in that area. So there is a very sound uh, Christian perspective when it comes to social welfare and that is to be on it as, uh, as little and as, for as short a shorter time as possible because work is this ethic that we have almost ingrained in us uh, that is coming from God. Well absolutely and, and one of the points that the Treasurer made last night was
3: the very best form of social welfare is to have a job. So that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm quite happy with what's happened in the area of small business, not just the uh, continuation of the $20,000 instant write-off, but also um, increasing the the cut-off for business turnover for small businesses to $50 million under the reductions in business tax. I think that's a great thing. And also, apart from the banks, big business hasn't really been hit by this budget either. So I think that augurs very well for the notion of, a better way to uh, provide for our people and that better way is to provide sustainable,
1: paid, meaningful and interesting employment. Let's turn our attention to the banks because banks are uh, perhaps, uh, and this is the fear I guess that have, uh, the people have if uh, if the banks are going to be taxed by the government, then the banks may well uh, cr- claw back some of that by raising their fees and charges or, or mortgage rates. Uh, let's stay with you for a moment, uh, Rodson Hill. Uh, your thoughts on the banks?
3: Well, they'll find it fairly difficult, I think, to claw back the tax from their own customers because this uh, levy, this 0.06% levy, only applies to five banks. Those are the four major banks, one other. And there are lots of regional banks, state-based banks, for example, that are smaller banks. They won't actually be paying this levy at all. So uh, uh, it's actually a brilliant way to um, increase some revenue because the, the large banks are going to have to think, well, will our customers start shifting to the smaller banks if we actually increase costs to them? So... I actually think that what will happen is it will be the shareholders who who lose out, that they won't get such big dividends
2: in the future.
1: Uh, Your thoughts, Gavin Martin? Did you have something to add about banks?
2: Uh, Yes. I initially thought that um, that the policy isn't a particularly good one because it's just targeting a few um, corporates uh, and it sets a bad precedent. But the more you think it through, as Rod articulated, that it actually uh, enables... um, Uh, some tax revenue to be generated from it targeting the largest banks without increasing interest rates potentially across the board because, as you say, they'll go to a smaller lender, one of the non-five banks, if if their interest rates uh, are increased too much on on lending, for example. Uh, So it's quite a clever policy in that respect. Um, and it's also clever in that it will be supported by Labor and get through the Senate as well. So uh, my initial response is that I don't like the, the approach of just targeting a few corporates. Um, but at the same time, it's quite clever in the way that it, it shouldn't increase um, mortgage interest rates across the board and that it should get through the Senate as well.
3: Can I just add something there To Look, the big banks have a very privileged position in Australia because they are actually protected from most Competition, certainly from international competition. So, um, and that's why they're among the most profitable banks in the world. And uh, so I actually think that there is some justification in forcing them to pay a bit more tax than some other big businesses might pay simply because of their very privileged position in our economic system. And uh, that has benefited us because we've got a much more stable financial system than is the case in many other countries. But I think some of the other things that are happening in in the banking area as well, um, senior executives and uh, directors are being held much, much more accountable for things like uh, the quality of advice which is provided to customers. And as we know, seriously, the big banks have actually let us down in many areas over the last few years. And uh, I I, I suspect that a lot of this is a a reaction by government to the bad behaviour that banks have engaged in.
1: Let's turn our attention to energy. Uh, When we're talking energy, we're talking electricity. And we might anticipate, uh, because of those leaks before the budget, of uh, power rebates... Uh, the equivalent of $75 uh, for an individual, and we're talking pensioners, uh, the idea that electricity prices are about to skyrocket uh, and other energy. Uh, Your thoughts on on, uh, the things that have been announced in the budget uh, with regard to energy, Gavin Martin?
2: This is a real pressure. Corporate energy prices are really uh, already skyrocketing and it's not yet filtered through to uh, individual energy users. And so this is an important measure uh, to help those that are a little bit more vulnerable, uh, so pensioners um, assisting them with that uh, rebate. Um, I think it's a really important measure as the cost of living goes up significantly through energy prices increasing. Uh,
1: and uh, flowing on from that, uh, while we're talking uh, pensioners and rebates, uh, are there issues to do with pensioners uh, in last night's budget, Gavin?
2: Uh, yeah, there was a really unpopular uh, measure where the asset test was um, returned to the old uh, method uh, from about 10 years ago, and that commenced the 1st of January 2017. About 300,000 aged pensioners went off the pension altogether. When that occurred, um, they also lost the um, pensioner's health care card, um, which involves discounts on um, uh, pharmaceuticals, uh, but also car registration, uh, utility bills, um, and a range of other um, you know, registration on your vehicles, etc. Um, so they not only missed, the, missed out on the, any pension, but they also missed out on that card that effectively enables you to access discounts. They've announced that they'll reinstate that for people who have um, come off the pension on the 1st of January this year. That's a great news, along with the, um, the energy rebate. it will just um, assist uh, pensioners with their cost of living expenses. And the other one that, that's probably not going to have a massive impact, but for an isolated few, um, the opportunity to downsize your home and put up to $300,000 each of that downsized um, money uh, into your superannuation um, over and above the current limits and without having to satisfy a work test over 65 years of age as well, it presents another opportunity to... Um, take advantage of downsizing and and the intention of the government is to try to um, free up the um, uh, supply in housing market but I think it's going to have limited um, uptake largely because the main motivation for people not downsizing their home is that it will reduce their uh, age pension benefits um, and it also incurs a significant stamp duty unless those two measures are dealt with um, or those two issues are dealt with I think it's going to have minimal uptake.
0: This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective.
1: 2020 on Vision. We've been having a debrief about last night's federal budget. Two special guests on 2020 today, Dr. Rod St Hill, economist and vice president academic at the Christian Heritage College School of Business in Brisbane. Gavin Martin, also the founder of Cornerstone Wealth with offices in Melbourne and Sydney, our guests. As we draw some loose ends together, uh, come to you, uh, Rod St Hill, uh, a couple of big issues Uh, that really are important, I guess, uh, from our Christian perspective. And there were some major announcements last night. Uh, The NDIS, uh, a new tax will increase in the Medicare levy uh, to cover fully the NDIS. Uh, Your thoughts on on that initiative? Uh, Look, that was
3: a responsible thing to do. I, I don't think anybody would be critical of the idea behind the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme. It's not an insurance scheme, but that aside... Uh, The funding is now secure. It was left unfunded by the previous government, but funding for that is now absolutely secure, so there are no issues there. The 0.5% increase in the Medicare levy will cover some of that. The rest of it will come from general revenue.
1: Uh, let's get a, a very quick perspective, Gavin Martin. Foreign aid, uh, frozen for two years from 2018. Uh, there's been controversy over how our foreign aid budget has been used of just recent times. Uh, and then also all of the criticisms that governments on both persuasions have had because of cuts to foreign aid. What are your thoughts about last night?
2: Gavin? What you said is- Uh, Yes, uh, Neil, there's um, two sides of it. One, there's the freezing of aid, which means there's um, a $303 million uh, drop uh, in two years' time. But also, um, there is the reallocation towards um, defence-type strategies as well. I think Rod and I have a very similar approach, and it's been tainted from my studies, where um, uh, the benefits and the outcomes of the foreign aid money don't always uh, stack up. So it's Whilst the headline, issue, the headline number is an issue, um, it's really about the outcomes that the, the budget or the foreign aid budget is, is achieving that's more of a concern. Um, so it's not a concern to me particularly, um, but if we can uh, you know, channel um, money through economic development um, and get better outcomes with the same or less money, I think that's where the focus should be, not necessarily in the headline number.
1: Well, we have run out of time and I want to thank both of our guests this hour. Gavin Martin, who's the founder, managing director and financial advisor of Cornerstone Wealth in Melbourne. Uh, Gavin, thanks so much for being part of 2020 today. Really appreciate your insights. And Dr. Rodson Hill, economist and vice president academic at the Christian Heritage College School of Business in Brisbane. And interestingly, just as we close, uh, for a Christian college to have a faculty as a school of business, it's quite unusual, Rod, and uh, I imagine that it's uh, something that is being taken up by many Christian families around the nation uh, to assume that they, if they take a, a career uh, move of studying at a, uh, a university-level uh, tertiary institution that has a Christian worldview, that that's actually a positive thing. Certainly is, and I would encourage a lot of people to study business at an institution
3: like Christian Heritage College because business is actually the wealth creating sector. And uh, I I believe that it's God's primary means of delivering blessing, uh, you know,
1: material blessing to His people. Well, to both of our guests, Dr. Rodson Hill and Gavin Martin, thanks so much for being with us today on 2020.